Welcome to this episode of the Event Manager Podcast by Skiff Meetings, the podcast for curious event professionals embracing the future of business events. My name is Miguel Nevsh, and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Skiff Meetings, and in this episode titled Developing Customer-Focused Event Tech, I have the pleasure of speaking with Bill Rugoish, the CEO of InEvent. Our conversation revolves around event tech innovation. We talk about things like the ins and outs of funding and investment for event tech startups, how to decide where to focus your development efforts, developing event tech that's able to service a global audience, the importance of affordable pricing that's easy for customers to understand, and the pros and cons of offering a software as a service for event technology. Hope you enjoy listening to this conversation and don't forget to check out the other episodes of the podcast on our website or via your favorite podcast service. for a word from our sponsors, PHL Life Sciences, a division of the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau. Host your convention or trade show in Philadelphia, one of America's leading life sciences hubs. PHL Life Sciences, the first and only CVB division of its kind, will connect you to the professionals at the forefront of your industry and to a culture you can only find in Philadelphia. A city known for its rich history that's forging a bright future, Philadelphia challenges the expected and defies convention. A world of discovery is waiting. Visit phllife.com to learn more. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Event Manager Podcast by Skiff Meetings. I'm Miguel Nevsh, Editor-in-Chief of Skiff Meetings, and I'm joined today by Pedro Goish, the CEO of InEvent. Pedro, welcome to the show. Thank you, Miguel. It's always great to be here, and uh, thank you for the invitation. Yeah. Perfect. Well, it's really nice to, to have a, a fellow Portuguese speaker on the show, though we won't be speaking Portuguese here. But I wanted to start by just getting a, a kind of introduction um, about you and about your journey. And and, and I know you, you're you're heading up an event. I think you have a, a co-founder as well that, that's kind of been on you with this journey. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey into, into the event industry. I think, you know, one one specific thing that we have seen is the resilience of the industry, you know, even throughout the pandemic when things changed so much. Um, it has been great to be here. We are going to be 10 years in that journey next year. So we started actually in 2013. Um, and for the last 10 years, we have been working on an event and we have actually three co-founders. We all started in college. Um, we started doing those meetings. And then we switched to software when we joined Y Combinator a couple of years later. And, and for just, those people like, who are not familiar with like the startup scene and everything, can you just yeah. explain how that works? I mean, okay, you were working in software, an event was was a different product back then in, in many ways. Yeah. And also if you can explain what Y Combinator is, because I've you know it's very famous in certain circles, but I think a lot of people yeah. won't know what it is. So, you know, coming from a Latino background, um, Initially, we did not have access to a lot of funding. So funding was limited to us. Um, um, and we can talk about this for hours, you know, how minorities have limited access to funding in different ways, like Latinos in one way, uh, the black community also, um, it has been, it's on the stats that. So um, we thought we need to overcome that. You know, we need to find a way, you know, to actually access this funding so we can actually get our company growing and moving forward. And we thought at that moment was something required for us because we had bootstrapped for a couple of years. So only our funding from clients and everything. So we decided to apply to a couple of investors and 
some of them that we found really interesting um, were based in San Francisco. So we had this one called Y Combinator. Y Combinator is the investor that there is a stage on investment, which is seed funding. So seed funding will be the first check usually. So that's around you know, $50,000, $100,000, you know, and some of the largest seed rounds may be a couple of million dollars. So that's the but first But this is when stage. you're very early in the product phase, right? You, you may have more of an idea or kind of a, a concept or what do you call it, like a first concept or first kind of built idea, right? Exactly. So that'll be like the first check and the first idea that you have. And then there is a second stage, which is Series A. And Series A will be like a larger funding, like usually say seven, six, seven, ten million dollars and beyond. So we wanted to raise some funding and we actually could have raised a Series A. But since we're limited in you know, access to this funding, we thought, let's start with the seed. You know, let's prove ourselves that let's raise a larger seed, you know, seed round. And then we can actually think about Series A later, you know, three, four, four years from now. So your product was ready for, for a Series A, but strategically it made more sense to go for a seed round of funding to kind of start the funding exactly. process. Okay. Exactly, because of that. And what was the product at this point, just to, just to kind of be specific? Yeah, so the product is actually very well developed by then. Like we have, we had done this event with Santander, uh, the Spanish bank, and this event was for forty thousand people. So the product was already reliable to scale to forty thousand people, and we had uh, the mobile app already. We had registration systems, and we had check-in systems. So we were actually, and that was the core, right? So you had registration, check-in, and the app was the kind of the main product because your background is in iOS development, right? That's kind of the, the technical right. side of your background, right? Yeah. So we actually started with mobile apps and, you know, remember there was a trend, you know, in iOS around 2014, 15, everybody was downloading mobile apps. People were paying like, you know, $50,000 for a single mobile app. Um, I think the trend has faded out, you know, in around 2018, 19, people were not like into mobile apps too much. But when we actually started, since mobile apps were so popular because of the iPhone and everything, we got a lot of money coming from that revenue, from that single source alone. But then uh, we shipped it to other products because mobile apps did not turn out to be the most popular thing in the event industry in the end. Yeah. It's so, okay. So what was that journey? Uh, you, you know, pre-pandemic, um, you went for mobile apps, registration, check-in. That was kind of the core where you started. And where mm -hmm. did you, you know, what did you start adding on before the, the kind of the big pivot? Yeah. So once we, so back to the funding thing and connecting to this, um, we decided let's apply. And then we actually went to a couple of, um, of those accelerators they call in the, in San Francisco, in the Silicon Valley. And then we applied to a bunch of them and we got selected by this one, which is called Y Combinator. And Y Combinator actually invested on companies like Stripe, Airbnb, you know, like big companies that are very successful today. So we actually, we don't know how, but they decided to invest on us. And we got a check, I believe $450,000 at the time, which was great for us. And then at that point, we actually started to focus on developing larger clients. So we went on in 2019 to 2020 to actually create all the virtual platform because now we had access to funding. We went on to raise another $3.9 million in that same uh, period. And we used that money to develop our virtual product. So since now we have access to capital, we were into more communities and everything. We just started to you know, develop into new areas such as virtual was really important. Another thing that we developed a lot at that time was were the integrations. 
So integrations with Salesforce, Marketo, Adobe, because we were there in Silicon Valley and they were all reachable to us. So it said like, why not develop? And customers are already looking for this. So we started working on those integrations too. And that allowed the product to grow and the company to grow from, you know, 30 people that we had around 2019 when we joined Y Combinator to about two, um, 180 people on the top, and now we are around 140 people on the company. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So, so your kind of interest in virtual predates the pandemic. You're already playing in that area and creating things in that area before the the, the big pivot. Yeah. You know, like virtual has always been great uh, in terms of um, allowing networking uh, on the app, at least. Uh, so people are always interested in like how can I connect and do those things virtually. Um, we didn't have the live studio by then. Like first, we were just a control room, as we called it. It was just something that it could have video, like just like a Zoom call or a Microsoft Teams call. And you use that to communicate virtually. So we actually started competing with Zoom in the beginning and Microsoft Teams. We wanted to replace video conferencing for an event. Uh, mm-hmm. But then we thought that it was a too crowded space. And we said, let's go to the other two areas. So the other two areas that we see in the in the space are going to be first webinars. So webinars is a big segment that you know it's above video conferencing, and then there's a third space on top of webinars, which is going to be the special events. So you know events are going to combine hybrid. So everything like hybrid, you know, virtual only events or you know meetings like large gatherings, they will be on these special events category, and. That's where we found really good market fit on those webinars and special events. Interesting. Wanted to kind of pick a little bit about, you know, you have to make some, you have this money, you want to invest in different parts of your tool, your app, your, your, your product, but you have to make choices where you can't develop everything at the same time, right? Like everybody. And I'm sure you get lots of different tips from different people. You know, clients are saying this, uh, investors are saying something different. Maybe users are saying something even different. How do you balance that out? You know, what, what is there like a North star that you have to, to make those choices in terms of what you're focusing your development resources on? That's a very good question. Like in the beginning, when we raised uh, our seed round, I was thinking, let's focus on making this product accessible to everyone. You know, we wanted to have, you know, a price point around one to $2,000 in the beginning. And we just wanted to have everybody using an event uh, for their requirements. So when we went onto the market and we started showing the products that we had, we realized that everyone, every planner wanted more. You know, they wanted to have, you know, great support. They wanted to have, you know, a very good implementation plan. They wanted to, you know, customize, tailor each experience for what they want. And we realized that we could not do that for a thousand dollars. You know, we realized that we naturally needed to provide more in terms of support, implementation, more uh, functionality on the platform. So we decided to add those into the system. So today basically our... Our core goal is once we develop a product, of course, we see if that makes sense. We add this to our system, but we focus on address 100% of the customer requirements. So this turned out that an event needed to become an enterprise company. Most of our deals today are, you know, on a high ACV or the annual contract value has increased uh, constantly over the years just because we have added more products and customers have requested more functionality in the end from us. Um, and so we moved away a little bit from the initial vision of, you know, everyone can use an event today's more tailored for, you know, events that have a more 
significant budget uh, for the year or for that single meeting. Yeah. And is there a danger that you kind of go in too many different directions? Because I know some tools prefer to just do you know one thing very well and not get involved in all the others. I, I mean, how do you find that balance? Because I, I would imagine it's it's impossible to be the best in every different category, yes. right? You want to find that kind of balance that works for your clients, but also for your team. Well, I, I tell people like we're really good with three things. We're really good with video. Video is really good on in event because we have built the live studio and the live studio has so many customability options, you know, like that you can go through. So the customization options allow to have multiple cameras, you know, select the local recording, have full HD recording, allow multiple layouts and stream to different sources. So it's a really good product. We also have a patent on the in event live studio. So that's one thing. Then we also have accessibility. It's something that we found the industry lacking in the beginning. So we decided to focus on accessibility and we developed a lot of tools there. So the product's really accessible and differentiates us from everything else. And the third thing is are the integration. So integration is also in the event we have developed them a lot. But what we have found on the sales process when we are working on this on a daily basis is that customers, when they start working with InEvent, we tell them we're good on those three things. But if we miss one single feature from something that they want and it's not there, the whole procurement process that we did so far does not move forward, you know? So it's really important to address 100% of the customer requirements on when we are doing, you know, sales. So even though we focus on a few things, you know, in the end, we need to address 100% of the requirements, otherwise the deal does not move forward. And I think that's something of a similar experience talking to other founders where it needs to be a full form package. It cannot be just like, if you're just doing one thing, the planners are going to buy from so many different solutions, but they want to consolidate everything in the end because otherwise they will have the Frankenstein integrator. And that's something that I've heard from clients. Sometimes they buy from two, three, you know, 10, 15 different providers. And in the end, they are like hiring you know, not just one, but, you know, 10, 15, 20 people just to manage the integrations between the platforms. And then they're spending more money on people to manage the different connections between the systems than actually having a single platform designed for them. So we had do this with a client recently and they're like, I'm glad that we now have Inevent because we can actually remove 12 systems from our company and be more successful with, you know, running this without any hiccups or changes between the platforms and everything. Yeah. So that's usually the journey from the client side. It's moving from this Frankenstein single solution, you know, integration to a single hub for all their events. Yeah. Nice. And you you mentioned a few of the big kind of CRMs and, and sales uh, tools. Do you integrate with other event platforms? Is that something you're you're kind of open and happy to do? Yeah, of course. If the client comes and they say, look, we're using a specific platform for something that's very, very specific, for example, table management, we do not have this specific solution uh, where our virtual booths, we do not, we do have virtual booths, but we do not have uh, the option to do uh, virtual games inside of them. So sometimes we partner, for example, with Ingamio. It's a company that they do specifically the games inside of our virtual booths. So that's something that uh, we are partnering with other event companies or the table management, for example, we have a partnership with another company. So when there are very specific solutions that we need, 
or for example, 3D venue venue mapping. So we had this client the other day, they were looking for something that people could walk and see the venue from inside uh, using 3D technology. We do not have that, but we can partner with other event companies that do that. And we offer all of those integrations on the in-event event market. You know, if I can remember a little bit, it's going to be that uh, where we have the integrations, everything out of the box. Yeah, But we are super happy to partner with Everyone, you know, we, even like companies are direct competitors. We do not see a problem. We, in the beginning, we're like, we should not do that. We should not partner with direct competitors. But today we see that's a benefit. We do not lose business by partnering with them. And we actually can gain some. So it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's, 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 that's fascinating. I, w- I wanted to pick a little bit more on the, um, on the video side, um, now you say you have a very developed studio platform. I believe you use Agora in terms of the, the kind of the back end of the video. Um, how does that work in terms of kind of the, the layers and, and, you know, how far, how far does that integration go and, and kind of how complex is that? Yeah, that's a good example. So when we started using the video providers, we actually found that some of them did not reach uh, the entire globe. So. For example, one we would use and they would not stream to, for example, um, the United Emirates, Arab Emirates, you know, so UAE was not connected to that specific provider. And then we went to another one and they work, but not in China. And then some of them, they're, they are specifically located in Europe and not in the US So the latency to the US. It's not great. And some of them are in the US and then the European customers would say, but we need a provider in Europe because of GDPR, you know? So we found that using a single provider was not, like there were no single providers that could actually develop all the requirements from our clients in a single video stream. So what we did is that we integrated with seven of them. (laughs) So today you go on the dashboard and you select like based on your requirements, look, I'm in Europe and the latency must be X. So then the best provider would be this one. So we automatically select this provider for you. So you can use this for your stream. Um, or if, for example, you want to stream to China. So then use that provider because they are available within China. And then that improves a lot of the experience. Just there is no single provider that works for all. So we have this on the back end, like the actual stream, like where the video bits connect, but then all the interface is done by an event. And that's actually something very interesting because most of our competitors, they just partner with other, you know, ready, you know, video ready solutions. Like for example, uh, Restream.io was a very popular one that we have seen or Kaltura. Some of the companies did not develop their own studio. They just partnered with them. They, you know, made sure they could use their license from Kaltura or Restream on their products. And they were actually using a branded version of them inside of them. Like they did not develop something. So in event was, were one of the few companies or if not the only one that actually developed its own studio. So in event live studio is built from in event, not a third party product or, or anything. It's not white labeled uh, or anything. It's not white label. It's and it's so the yes. the event studio sort of sits above the streaming solution, right? So the kind of feeds go into the into the event studio, and then that goes out to the streaming solution to then you know feed that out to everybody, right? Exactly. So there are two layers. You know, there's the first layer that captures the video. So for example, that's what it was going to get your video from your computer to the cloud, right? So that's called WebRTC technology. So that's the first layer. So for that, we use a couple of providers depending on where you are. 
And then there's another layer to actually get the final video product and stream to YouTube or LinkedIn or to your website. And that's the RTMP technology. So we use different for providers for them, but all the compression, you know, of getting, you know, these different video cameras, putting them together, what's the layout that you want, the lower thirds, the, you know, the, the graphics, the, the captions, the graphics, all of that is done by an event on our servers. So we capture the videos, we process everything and we create the final video. And then we stream this out using other providers. So everything is low latency and it's well designed with what you want to see on the screen. I like it. Thanks for, for guiding me through that. I think it's always a, an area that um, I think only the most AV savvy event professionals kind of understand. And I'm, I, I don't know if I'd consider myself completely AV savvy, but I'm still looking under the hood and finding new things that I wasn't aware of. So always appreciate you guiding me through that. Are you ready to celebrate your successes in the world of meetings and events? The Skift Meetings Awards are back for 2024, recognizing the most innovative business events companies across 15 categories, and we want you to be a part of it. Winners will feature on Skift Meetings, sending a clear signal to events professionals around the world that these are partners they can rely on. The final deadline for submissions is June 11th. We encourage you to start your submission today to secure the best entry rates. For more information and to start your submission, head to live.skift.com. In terms of kind of pricing, does that make things complicated? Because, you know, obviously it's an event can have people, a virtual event can have people all over the world. Sometimes it's hard to predict where they are. And then if you have different providers for the streaming and the capturing that sort of need to be in different places, depending on where you need the latency, how does that all work in terms of kind of calculating the, the pricing for the clients? Yeah, this is a good point. We had that discussion on the industry, you know, like six months ago. I think that was a big topic going on at the time, you know, like um, we had to think best and also um, we're going to be talking about this. But the main thing for me regarding pricing is to have something that's very straightforward because the industry, you know, buys the product in two ways. Either they're going to buy for a single event or they're going to buy for a subscription throughout the whole year, right? So... For the first one, they're comparing so many different things. You know, like if you're doing a single meeting, you're comparing so many different platforms and so many different catering services and so many things that you as a planner, you got to have on your toolkit, right? So when you go to the technology piece, which is just one of the 20 things that you're sourcing, then you have to talk to 30 different providers, you know, so it's going to take years for you to compare everything. So we found that the only way for us to scale on this is to be able to capture quickly what the client's looking for and provide them a single pricing, even though sometimes they're going to spend you know, more money than expected, or sometimes it's going to be more affordable to us. We found that having a single pricing based on registration solves all of the problems, even though it's not like perfect, it's something that's very scalable and compensates for all the time that we'd have to spend on to make that perfect pricing, you know, with all the different modules and everything. So we only have on the platform today four plans. We have the webinar plan, the VNH Advanced and VNH Full, and Event Hub. So you can only select from four, and we tailor that for you automatically, and the price is very standardized. Mm -hmm. Now for the subscriptions. Uh, we can work a little bit more on them because the client's going to spend more time with us. So we can actually work on um, 
adding, for example, a different module in person training, or if they want a specific video, or if they want, for example, a specific feature that we do not have, we can charge for that add-on feature sometimes. Um, but that's usually for subscriptions or large uh, engagements. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can understand from the client perspective, that makes a lot of sense, right? It's like the more people arrive at your events, the more you're, you're paying, right? That That's sort of like very linear. How does that yeah. impact you, though, anything from, from a provider? Is there is that the main, I'm saying, it is streaming and, and the kind of the video services in the back end the main variable cost that you have that then you need to reflect on the clients? Or are there other variable costs that, that you have that... You know, it yeah. would be interesting for other professionals to be aware of. So the main thing from us is labor. You know, labor is the main cost today, because uh, I think we have video. I can get on our PNL, but a video is around eighteen percent of our costs annually, and um, this labor is about sixty-five percent. So for us. You know, that's why you know it, there is a misconception sometimes of oh, if I remove one or two features, why? doesn't the price drop 20%, you know, is because that's just going to be 20% of 18%, which is going to be just 2% in the end of the whole subscription that we are selling you. The main thing is labor because we need to keep the team running 24 seven and the project manager is going to still have to implement the solution for you, do the dry runs, be on the calls, you know, support you if you have any issues. And these are fixed prices. So uh, no matter if you're using one or two features to implement more or less, we send, mm -hmm. we tend to see that Probably not going to require 18 hours of implementation, probably going to go to 15, but that is not a meaningful difference to change the price by so much. So, yeah. And is I the, think, the yeah. kind of staffing and the labor, is that something you do all in-house or do you kind of outsource part of that? We did outsource in the beginning, but we found the quality lacking. So we found that People need to be close to you and they, they need to have the perks, you know, of being an inventor. Like they, for example, we do an event summit where we bring everyone is remote these days, but we bring everyone to a single location for one week and they all meet and meet their coworkers. And we have, you know, talks and we go to the ocean, like to the middle of the ocean and we go doing activities. So that helps bond everyone together. Um, they have health insurance from an event globally. They have access to the in event office back when they join. So these things make sure they are well taken care of and then they feel they can deliver more for the company and learn more and deliver higher quality on the process. If I could outsource, I would do it. Like, honestly, it's just like PNL in the end, but it doesn't work. Like if you to try to outsource, you're going to see that the quality when you treat people well is just much better in terms of customer support and customer satisfaction. Yeah. And that's such an important thing for for the event industry. Um, mm -hmm. Wanted to connect also the you know the SaaS thing. I think a lot of investors, a lot of tech people are always pushing towards having SaaS solutions, software as a service, where there's you know minimal kind of actual human contact. Is that something you considered? Uh, and is that something you just think doesn't work for tech and events? Well, I think it works. Um... So the way that we think about SaaS in the event industry is you want to do a meeting, a single meeting, it's okay. But if you do a SaaS subscription, it's going to be much more affordable. And I can give you some examples. One meeting, for example, is going to run a lean event platform like ten to $15,000 to get started, right? But if you do five events, it will probably cost you like 5000 per meeting. And if you do 100 events, it will probably cost you $1,000, right, each meeting. So the cost when you have a subscription is going to be much lower because the labor that we have 
can be allocated throughout the whole subscription, not just for that one meeting. I can actually get the implementation costs of putting all together all the systems, all the implementation, the training, and also allocate that throughout the whole subscription. And then basically the cost will be much less. Um, so I think subscriptions work. They're a great model. And that's where I communicate to clients. Look, if you come here on an event and stay forever, you're going to have a great deal. Uh, if you're not a possibility right now, you can do one meeting just now. Uh, but the costs are very different, you know, in terms of what you can allocate. Yeah. But when you, you know, in your different packages and the different ways you work, is there a package where it's kind of hands off and people just buy access to the tool? That's kind of what I meant by SaaS. I don't know if okay. you know, it's kind of, is that something oh, that you offer? Or do you always, does it always come with kind of a, a human element connected with it? And maybe I'm not using the term correctly, so please forgive me, but I, I, I guess it's, you know, that kind of definition of hands-off. I know a few tech companies are really kind of keen on this idea of being hands-off and ultimately scale a little bit like Zoom. You know, you buy a Zoom yeah. contract and it's like, you just use it. Yeah, you might get some support, but it's pretty limited, right? So that's a great story. All right. So when we were on the pandemic, we were like, we're going to be accessible to all. And we knew that we could not do that by having a human on every single meeting. Otherwise, this would not scale. So we decided, let's create a very simple plan called Basic and Express so people can buy and they can do everything themselves. There was basically no support on those plans or very minimal support. What we've learned is that from our customers, and we are we are not perfect. We, we do have some bad reviews every now and then. It's uh, less than... 4% today um, from all overall, like it's 96 customer satisfaction. Um, and all those reviews, all the negative reviews, all of them, no exception, they are from those two plans, basic and express. So the customers on those plans, when they get upset, they get livid, you know, like they go and they complain that, you know, the platform, it's horrible in so many, many, many ways. And we found those problems to be mostly lack of support, you know, because we knew that those things could be fixed because those are the same problems that our advanced or full or, you know, event hub clients have. The thing is those reviews, they'll get pop up to the top of the rankings, you know, and they'll be there and everybody would ask them like our top clients, you know, the ones paying, you know, $300,000 a year, they'll come and ask why is that customer experience so bad? And we have to explain, you know, why a $2,000 customer it's, you know, damaging our reputation. So we decided that the revenue coming from this was not good enough and to justify having that plan and it was just not selling enough. And so we decided to drop this and all have the human support on every call moving forward. I think even Zoom learned that because Zoom events also has a human support component that you, you can buy together with this. So, <laughs> yeah, it's I think it's fascinating because... From an investor perspective, I see totally the appeal of this very hands-off, you know, tech product. But then when it comes to event industry insiders, people go, you know, events are so time specific. You're asking for so many people to be there at a certain time. If something goes wrong, you can't afford to like, oh, I'm just going to send an email to accept tech support and in a few hours I'll get a response. That's not good enough, right? So I think a lot of people are learning the hard way that offering a sort of hands-off SaaS model doesn't work in most situations in, in the event industry. Yeah. And I got some critique, you know, from people saying like, oh, like the event industry is limited. You know, uh, I've, I've heard from one person, oh, like the, the event industry does not have the funding as other industries because of this limited capability to scale. But mm -hmm. I don't think that that's the case, you know, because, okay, if we compare ourselves with, you know, um, 
marketing, plain marketing solution. Okay, maybe the marketing solution can scale a little bit better. But there are a lot of industries, a lot of you know technology industries that require implementation. You know, I was talking to another person the other day. He works in the gas, that gas and oil industry, and he's telling me like his implementations take three years because he has to implement his software on the drill bits that go into the ocean, and that's how he retrieves the oil and everything. And he has software to manage all of that. And it's not something scalable. Like you cannot just, you know, like, oh, you bought the software, install on your, you know, pipeline drill or something. Like you actually have to install, train the people. And a lot of industries like that, you know, I think very few industries have the, the possibility of, you know, selling, you know, $15 products monthly. Most of them, we require some type of implementation. And I think like the those small, you know, like ten, fifteen dollar products, you know, that you can just use yourself is the exception, is not the norm um, in most industries. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I guess the exception well, what in my mind what makes it different for the for in the events industry is that you might um have like a, a long implementation, but then you're only using the product a few times a year. Even if you run multiple events, it's you know, it's uh, I'm guessing I'm looking at the oil and gas example you gave, and it's like it takes a long time to implement. But once you implement it, you're kind of using it all day, every day, right? Once it's in, it's kind of always being used. While with events, it's like you implement it and then you turn it on periodically when there's events, right? So there's always new things to catch, new bugs, new new things to pop up. So I personally disagree with that. <laughs> okay. And why I disagree with that is that I think the customers, like we have the dashboards from an event, right? Customer usage over time. And I think usage is not just the day of the event. You know, we see that a lot of customers are going to prepare for a meeting, you know, in December. They're already using the platform today, right? Because they need to do all these tasks before. So they need to send out the registration. They need to set up the emails. They need to set up the website. They need to put together the reports and, you know, community and like using UTMs to share the links on social media and sell the tickets and everything. So from our use case, you know, when we actually open the dashboard, customers are using the platform 80% plus of the year, you know, like maybe they have that gap post event where they're like tired and they need to rest a little bit. But I think like they're because actually that different users. from when yeah. people are actually on the platform using it, but, you know, the actual attendees. Exactly. So the attendees will probably use the platform just for a single, you know, for very few days throughout the year. But the attendees are not our client. You know, our client is the event planner and the event planner is using the platform throughout the whole year. Like you can see that from the reports, the graph is always like constant. If you see that the event planner usage is always constant. And of course yep. you have these peaks when the attendees come in, but. Um, I mean, I, I guess I'm just saying that because yeah. I think that's when you find the bugs, right? Or that's when the support kicks in because suddenly somebody does something that you weren't expecting or, you know, something's happening or people are watching in a place that it's not working for Maybe, whatever yeah. reason. Maybe in the beginning, yes. Uh, but then we we caught this in the beginning and we said, look, let's, you know, do dry runs before the actual meeting happens, right? So, for example, you go start with the event, then you're going to go with the speaker dry runs the AV dry run, and also um, any other third-party dry runs that you want to do. And that those are done like at least 30 days prior to the meeting. So we catch those early in the process because we're just always forcing the customer to be using the platform and doing dry runs, and we do not charge for the dry runs. So I get what you mean. You're just saying like, you can actually, if you tell the client, like everything is preparation, let's use the platform as much as possible before the meeting, uh, 
we do not have any more of those issues like learning on learning them on the large size meeting. Yeah. For sure. Great to hear. And uh, yeah, I think uh, our own, uh, I think our first virtual event before I joined the company, we had, I think 11 people, 11,000 people tried to join a virtual event and the system mm-hmm. wasn't quite ready for that surge of people. So it was uh, mm-hmm. obviously this is kind of early on in the pandemic. So different kind of tech uh, capacity. But uh, I mean, those are the kind of things that are hard to predict and, and hard to test, right? You, you can't really test, hard you can't test. really have that many people online unless you happen to have them on standby. So I wh- wanted to get your kind of predictions for what's what's coming up next or kind of like trends in the industry. I mean, we talked a little bit about video. I know that's a, a big focus of yours and maybe you, if you want to expand on that, but anything else that you're seeing as well? Well, um, I think face-to-face meetings are coming back, you know, and they're everybody's really happy to be meeting in person again. I just think there is a lack of, you know, discussion of what exactly that means for technology, you know, like you're meeting face-to-face and what kind of technology do you need for them? And in the beginning, once we, you know, started this transition back to in-person, we were like, they're probably just needing, you know, badging and check-in, right? That's what they're looking for. So we focus on that. But then we found that that was not the main thing, you know, like people could actually find solutions already for badging and printing. They would just use, or sometimes we want to be environment friendly. That's something that we didn't see before the pandemic, um, where people are much more like environment friendly. They just do not want to print and do badges. They just want to scan them um, on the smartphone. So that was also a big trend that we saw at the time. But I think the main thing now that we are hearing from clients is actually the whole travel experience. So people are really focused now on how do I get my guests to have a single, you know, journey uh, when I'm going to the event. So it's not just the meeting itself, it's a process of, you know, booking the flights, uh, booking the housing, selecting the hotel, the actual process of getting there, the shuttle, you know, bringing your family sometimes to those meetings, having the dietary requirements, the, uh, the travel. And so that's something that's becoming more and more of the norm, you know, where you have more of a travel package instead of just a meeting package, you know? So, so you mean are, kind of event tech supporting that process throughout or sort of being present throughout so that it can help, um, like, I guess, make the process as smooth as possible? Yeah, I think, you know, event tech and travel tech, they're merging together, you know, at a certain point. I think people are paying more for experiences that are consolidated, you know, where you're not just going to, the meeting, you're actually going to have an experience uh, and the meeting is part of that, like the actual keynotes are part of that, but you want to also have a great experience traveling. You want to have a great experience, you know, on the hotel that you're staying and everything like, for example, you're going to a conference for three days, you know, you're not just going for the content, you're going because you're also going to connect with people on the happy hours, you're going to also be able to travel with them somewhere else in the city. And that's all part of your experience, you know, that's all part of your event experience. So I think there's a big merge between event tech and travel tech in the future. And that's going to be a big trend. Yeah. And and would you say that um, the expectations of the users, so the attendees in terms of tech have dramatically increased throughout the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. So that. Yeah. So they have they have shifted a little bit. I think the people in the end they were just like bored of Zoom meetings um, in the beginning. So 
they wanted to see more and interact more. So the virtual products have developed a lot. And that's not just in event. The other competitors also see them. They have added a lot of new features and capabilities uh, to add games and to add uh, polling, quizzes, interactivity. Um, I think that's going to still be part of that segment, you know, the special events product, you know, like, because Zoom and Teams and everyone, that those are the biggest competitors to virtual, you know, because most of the customers are using them, you know, or sometimes they use a platform, but they also revert back to Zoom or, or Teams later. And I'm not talking about Zoom events. I'm talking about the Zoom $10 product or the Microsoft Teams $10 product for Google Meet. And that will be probably be the biggest competitor in our industry moving forward. Um, Customer expectations have changed, you know, but um, we need to be exactly where we need to focus and what kind of industry you're going to compete in. Because if you just have a virtual product to compete with Microsoft Teams, you're probably going to lose. It's it's a very good product for a very affordable price point. Yeah. And I mean, from from the user, you know, the actual users of the event, do you feel like there's enough innovation in event technology to kind of match what they're looking for. And I, I mean this from the perspective of, you know, like you get a, a new event app, uh, something mm -hmm. like Airbnb or, or something that's kind of like outside the industry. And every once in a while, there's a really radical design shift. Like, okay, now there's no options anymore. There's only one thing that you can do on this app or, you know, there's kind of like very focused things. I, I tend to see the opposite when it comes to event tech. I, I tend to see the addition of features and the kind of like more and more options. But is, is there a need sometimes to kind of just take everything out and kind of redesign from scratch and give people a really seamless experience that maybe they're not asking for, you know, maybe the clients aren't asking for the clients are always asking for more, you mm -hmm. know, more buttons, mm -hmm. more solutions, but is there a time when you kind of have to throw all that out and, and kind of start again? Well, I think that consumer products are different from, you know, B2B products. You know, I think that's the, the segment difference, because if you think about Airbnb, they're just talking directly that they can do, they can change whatever, it's just like Facebook, they can change their own whole interface or Instagram, they can, they can do those things. But B2B products, you know, especially the event industry, you know, it's never the attendee buying the platform, it's always the planner. And the planner is a B2B person, like it's, it's, it's a buyer that's going to look for requirements. So you don't see those big shifts, you know, in B2B platforms, like think Salesforce, you know, Salesforce is a B2B product. Salesforce doesn't redesign the whole system um, with new interfaces every year, otherwise they will lose a lot of their clients. What they do is that add new technology modules, you know, into their product, and then people buy into those, which is similar to what the event industry sees, you know, like you buy into, for example, we released the webinar product, so we sold customers into that new module. Um, so I think, it's just the segmentation, you know, like B2B and B2C are completely different in how they sell and create those products. And that's why we should not expect B2C sometimes um, product releases on the B2B market, for example, yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's interesting, quite interesting insight into that difference between B2B and B2C. So wanted to start wrapping up and and kind of get your your vision for uh, you know maybe there's something in your roadmap that you could give us a sneak preview, but also just vision for what do you think events are going to look like in the future? You talked a little bit about that return to in-person events. Is there anything or any kind of specific area that you think is is going to change or that you're hoping to kind of be part of that change? Yeah, I think you know first thing is going to be. A big merge of three areas you know the first is travel pack i think that's going to be a big push you know for people saying i want to stay at home 
most of the time. I do not want to travel. But if I travel, I just want to have a great experience. So people are basically saying that I want to stay at home and want to have a great video experience. So that's one thing that we need to work on. The video experience is really important, adding more capability and functionality and delivery on the video products, on the live studio and everything. And if customers say, I want to leave my house and go to a place, I want to have some somewhat of a great experience. So that's where travel tech and event tech, they merge. So we have a lot of innovation in that merge, you know, in travel tech and event tech. We're creating a single consolidated experience now with our new um, housing modules. So you're actually going to be able to book everything in a single experience and track your whole journey. So the meeting will start not just on the first keynote, it's actually going to start the moment that you leave home. And that's going to be a single itinerary for you on the mobile app and on the platform. So yeah, it's exciting. You know, it's going to basically be, you know, your travel experience and including the meeting instead of just the meeting experience. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I think it, it's an interesting point because travel tech, well, traveling to meetings is such an important, such a you know, basic part of going to an in-person event. And yet we don't really connect those two most of the time. So it does feel like a, a good opportunity there. Yeah, I mean, if you if you travel somewhere and you just had a terrible flight, like you you just get there and you're wasted, you know, like you're not really ready to interact or you, it takes you a few moments to, oh, like I'm actually better now. So travel is essential uh, to your experience when you go to an event. So we cannot dissociate both, you know, it's just like food, you know, like if the food is not great on the venue, like it's still like it's a problem. So uh, thinking about travel is something that requires a lot of technology while catering does not, for example. So we could focus on travel and improve that experience because we think that today is still very disconnected. You know, we do not see planners talking to travel companies, uh, travel systems, they talk to travel companies, but not systems. So we want to merge both together in a single uh, visual experience for them. Yeah. Excellent. Pedro, appreciate your time. I think this has been a really interesting conversation. And thank you for being so open about your, your product and, and kind of the, the challenges. I think it's really interesting for, for our listeners. I wanted to get your recommendation uh, for somebody else that we should have on the podcast, our, our next guest or a next guest, if you will. Um. That's an interesting question because I'm just thinking now and I'm thinking, oh, I could recommend this person. Oh, but they, they just quit the event industry. So <laughs> that's OK. I, I think that's yeah. interesting, you know, especially if they're open to talking about that. I think that would be really fascinating because why, you know, like like what's what's driven that I think. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'll let you I'll let you decide who, who you suggest. Um, yeah, there is. Um, I used to talk a lot to. There is. Um, Stas from VII Events, I think he's great. Um, he did a lot of, we did a lot of 3D um, virtual lobbies at the time when the virtual lobbies were appearing and they, everybody wanted to be 3D. So we did that a lot on the podcast. Um, in Gumio, uh, they also, they also really fun in terms of games. Uh, so they have this, so Dimash would be the right person to talk there. You know, he, they're really on the gaming piece, you know, like how to put those together on the platform and, you know, make it easy to, to find them. Um, who else? Well, that's already two suggestions there. So yeah. that's plenty. But I have a couple, you know, because we found it is that thing, you know, we found that, you know, partnering with companies, even if they are maybe competitors, it's better than not. 
So we we just like talk to everyone and if they want to integrate, even if they're like a competitor, for us is okay. So <laughs> I love the message. Thank you so much, Pedro. It's it's been a pleasure, and I like the the two recommendations. So Dimash from Endgameio and Stas from VII Events, right? That's yeah. the okay. Well, thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I hope the listeners enjoyed our conversation as much as I did, and uh, wishing you all the success uh, for the future. You too, Miguel. Thank you, and Tom, thank you so much for the skiff work. Like it's it's awesome to see the reports. It's always detailed. You know, you see that someone always went there and wrote something like original. It's not like copy and paste from any other websites. Like you actually had to do, you know, journalist background work. And that's not common today. It used to be common, but that's not common today. It's actually rare. So I always like to read your, your posts and also the content from script. So it's really good. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate the kind words.